No, there is no disruption. God is, God is there for us. Um, if you have your peacemaker book, you could take it out. I would like to wrap up the chapter we're working on now, which is on um, dealing with people one-on-one, having to go to people uh, about the, the trouble that you're having or about the difficulty or the, uh, uh, the you know, confronting, really. Or, the title of the chapter is just between the two of you. And you'll notice on your handout that uh, we talk about confronting sin. Confronting sin does not give a license to be a busybody. That's your blank. It was one we talked about last week. But uh, we are not to be busybodies about, uh, about the things uh, going around causing trouble. We're not to try to, um, to get people or try to um, uh, cause trouble or to instigate trouble. Or to, and what he says here in the book is anyone who's eager to go and show a brother his sin is probably disqualified from doing so. It's a pretty, pretty fair statement. If you are eager to do, to do, to do this, then uh, you're probably in the, wrong, in the wrong position. You need to let somebody... Who is, uh, who is hesitant to do so, who understands the gravity of what they're doing uh, to go and, and take care of this. Um, let's skip down to uh, Galatians 6.1. Can we turn there? Uh, Galatians 6.1 uh, is a wonderful passage of Scripture we've talked about several times, but I'd like for us to look at this passage and look at a couple words here in this passage. And then can I have someone who is good, loud voice here Read for us this verse, Galatians 6, 1. Who wants to do it and can do it loudly? Yes, sir, Tony. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Okay, if a brother or sister, uh, a, a Christian, if a, a brother, if a man is overtaken, what is, how does your uh, translation read that? If there's, what, what is like? No, before that part, if a man is... If someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing. Okay, overtaken, yeah. The, the word overtaken there is uh, paralambano, uh, which is, I wrote it out for you in English there. It means um, to be caught, to be surprised, or to be entangled. Um, so the idea is, is that, that when you are, um, and we'll come back to that blank in a second, but when we're talking about this verse, he says, if you see someone who's caught up, it's like, it's like if you, if you get tangled up in something, your, your feet are tangled up, you can't move. Uh, my kids do this with their shoelaces sometimes, dad, I'm stuck. You know, it's that kind of a mentality where you, you're stuck, you can't get out, you, 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 you are stuck, you're unable to help yourself, okay? You are, you are entangled in sin here. And then notice the next, the next word. You who are spiritual should restore such a one. What does your translation say, uh, Tony? Restore, such a restore. Okay, yeah, same word. The word restore is this idea of, uh, it's katarizo. It means to mend, to repair. It says mend there. I should say mend. Sorry, I didn't catch that spell, spelling problem there. Mend, repair, equip, complete, repair. Like fishermen mending their nets is the idea. So imagine that, so that's your blank, restoring work is mending work. It is mending work. Uh, And if you can keep this mindset when you're looking at at confronting people as mending instead of confronting, that is super helpful. If you're helping someone who's overtaken in a fall, your goal is to restore them. It's to help them to be what they're supposed to be. It's to help them be mended. Uh, and that's a very helpful, very um, uh, good and spiritual way of looking at this, this practice of helping one another. He has a couple things uh, at the end of this chapter, which we'll go through briefly, about special considerations. 
concerning uh, confrontation, sometimes you're asked, should I confront non-Christians? Should I go to non-Christians and talk to them about their sin? His, his contention is that this is still fruitful, um, and the way you do this is you may not necessarily appeal to Scripture as much, or you may appeal to common values. Uh, if you have a boss who's being who's have a, a major problems with your com- communication with him, you might say, look, I, I know we both want to see the company succeed, and um, the, way this, the way you, ch- bemo- you know, demean the other employees may not be appropriate, or something to that effect. Uh, appeal to common values uh, and use it as an example uh, of, of how to handle a problem. So go to him the correct way. But he said it still can be fruitful. It isn't always fruitful. You shouldn't expect... This has come up several times in here. What do you do if the other person isn't educated in this, it doesn't know how to, how to deal with these kinds of uh, things? I think you can still go to them. Number, number two, he mentions going to a person in authority. He says, if you do this, do so with respect and with care. Respect and care. And in 1 Timothy 5, deals with this. If you're dealing with someone in authority and you have to confront them, do so. You can, you just need to be careful uh, how you do it. Uh, number three there, dealing with abuse. He mentions it's usually not wise to go one-on-one if you're dealing with a situation where you are the abused and you're going to an abuser. You're the victim and you're, you've been abused. It's usually not wise to go one-on-one. And we talked about this a little bit last week with the danger of the person who, you know, typically people who are, are who have been abusive are very good at turning, um, turning the tables on the abused and, and manipulating them. And so um, you usually need some support or help if you're going to go to them. Uh, lastly, he said, go tentatively and repeatedly. Go repeatedly. Because many offenses are actually results of misunderstandings. So you need to give the benefit of the doubt. Uh, don't assume uh, wrong thinking, wrongdoing. Always, always go with the first attempt to clarify and to try to make sure that, you know, ho- hope that things are just mis- misunderstood versus um, uh, intentional. Okay, any other questions about confrontation or about going to someone one-on-one? Anything that was brought up last week? I know I kind of breezed through them for like five minutes, the last part of that, but I thought we should cover those last-minute details. Anything, anything come up from last week or lingering before we go to the next chapter? Sorry, restoring work is mending, mending work, like mending a net. Yeah. Oh, possible actions. I guess I skipped over that. Let's look at that. Possible actions after getting the log out of your own eye. Thank you. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm a little foggy myself tonight. I apologize. I've been traveling. Um, Number one, okay, so what do you do after you get the log out of your own eye? So remember the steps we talked about, the four Gs, right? The first G is what? Glorify God. We ought to know these, all right? So if we're going to go through this book, this is the, this is the part you, you got to get, right? The first G is to glorify God, that everything that happens in this situation is going to be to glorify God. My goal is to glorify God. My goal is not to be right or to be proven right or to put them in their place or even to have a happy marriage. My goal is to glorify God, right? So, um, so everything falls under that category. Number two is get the log out of your own eye. And when we say that, what we're talking about is this idea of confession and repentance. And the point he makes is after you get past step two, where you're getting the log out of your own eye and you have dealt with your own sin, sometimes when we do counseling, I'll draw up, I have a really simple sheet, it has a cross like this, and it says, my side, you know, uh, their side. And I'll say, okay, write down all of your side. What, what is your responsibility to deal with? Like, what are all the things you have to ask confession for? 
Like, stay on your side of the line. We're not going to talk about their side of the line. What are all the things they did wrong to you? We're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about your side of the line. That's what this is, getting the log out of your own eye. And at the end of the chapter, he says, okay, say you have done this. Say you have gotten the log out of your own eye. What are your possible options from this point? Like, you're in, a, you're in one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. Like, if you want to do this, go to this page. It's that kind of idea. Your options are, number one, to overlook. We've talked about this. This is, again, a little bit of a review. But your, your idea is, you, I mean, the, uh, the first option is to overlook the offense. You could say, I have dealt with my sin. I'm going to choose that, the, you know, they sinned against me. I'm going to choose to overlook it. I'm going to choose to say this is not something I'm going to persistently think about, okay, or, or have, to, have to confront them over. Um, number two is to uh, what he calls build, build on the other superficial confession. Uh, this is a tricky one. I'm not sure what I think about this. I've never done this before. But his idea is, is that if you have someone who is untrained in a peacemaking and they ask forgiveness, but they don't do it the right way. Like, let's say um, they, they say, hey, I, I, sorry, sorry, I, um, sorry I did that. Okay, that, that's not a confession, right? That's just showing sorrow that something happened. They're not really saying a sin. They're not acknowledging a sin. They're not asking forgiveness. And what he actually says, and he says, you can actually, if you're skillful, you can build on that. You can say, yes, thank you for saying that. And, and it's appropriate when you sin against someone to ask forgiveness. And I, I don't remember exactly how he goes through it, but if you get the book, he walks through some ways that people can actually do this. And I, I have never done that personally. I've never been able to do that successfully, put it that way. I, mean, I don't think I've even tried necessarily to build on someone's but I think if someone is not asking forgiveness on a regular basis, perhaps this is a way you can go about doing it, is to take what they're giving you and then help them see the biblical way forward. Number, number three, you may need to talk about the other person's sin. He mentions that you may, at some point, you'll have to talk to that, or you may postpone confrontation until another time. So he's just saying here, here are the options you have. You really don't have many more options than that. It's either you've got to deal with it or you don't. You have to uh, confront or you have to overlook and um, the only one I wasn't completely sure about is that building on another person's superficial confession. Let me just get to it here. He, here's what he says. I'm finding it in the book right now. He says, your confession may encourage the other person to make some form of admission, even if it's incomplete and half-hearted. For example, I guess I sort of lost my temper too. Or, well, it wasn't all your fault. And sometimes it's appropriate to pick up on another's words and reflect them back in more detail. So here's how he says it. Quote, I appreciate you were admitting that you lost your temper, Bob. May I explain how that made me feel? Okay. I appreciate you're saying that. What do you think you did wrong? Why do you think I was frustrated? Okay, so the idea of, of reflecting back, it's possible. I've, I've, I've never been good at that, I think, personally, but I, it, maybe that works for some people. I, I can't see it necessarily working really great in my situations. Tran full transparency here. But most of you are like, yeah, I don't think I'd try that either. But Tony. Oh, with a child. Ah, oh, I can see that. It's like a good way to train children. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about my kids. Um, yeah, so if you, yeah, if the kids are not giving a good, yeah, that's really, really good. Really good. Uh, Y'all were thinking, you must have uh, done that before, says my mother. <laughs> uh, all right. Chapter 8, chapter 8, we have like five minutes. Let's at least start looking at this. Was there another one? Yeah. Okay. I heard one person put it, I mean, and everything, I agree fully with what you're saying here, 
But what that really looks like is that that person is made useful to you. Right, that's true. Care, complete, but it looks like. Okay, what does it look like? They're like, useful. That yeah. net is catching fish in you. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That person yeah. is restored to the position right. of being useful. That's really good. Yeah. I forgot who was that. It might even be. It might even be Sandy. Yeah, I think it's in the book. Yeah. Is it? Okay. I think. I think that is him. The idea of mending is to make them useful again for ministry or for for life, right? Yeah. That they are not broken and right. paralyzed and unable to move forward. Yeah. Very good point. And and really, it's an act of love, right? So there's a difference between just pity uh, and compassion, like having just this this oh, I feel sorry for them. And love, because love is active, and love will do hard things. And sometimes you have to say things to people that is uncomfortable or that brings you down a path that you are not, it's not fun, right? It's all the time. Love is not always fun. If you love someone, though, you will tell them. You will, you will help them with something that you see is a, is a dangerous thing. Like some of you have been with family members who have been in really tough situations, and you've had to talk to them. You've had to have conversations. And that's kind of what he's saying, is that if you're going to love someone, you're going to help them mend. You're going to go to them, as Galatians 6.1 uh, commands us. Speaking of love, let's look at uh, chapter 8 here. Can somebody read Ephesians 4.14? I meant to put that on your sheet. You can tell I had my note there to fill in that verse, and I just forgot to print it out for you. I'm sorry about that. But Ephesians 4.14, can someone read that for us? Ephesians 4, verse 4. Uh, I think it's Ephesians 4.14. It's a key verse. Well, oh, 4.15. I'm sorry. Read 4.15. Uh, well, 14. Let's do, uh, let me look at it here. Might be 14 and 15. Very good. So that should be Ephesians 4, 14, and 15. Uh, here is our key verse, if especially if you look at verse 15, where he says, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Okay, but you have to go back, this idea of growth, verse, verse, 13, uh, verse 14, where he says, we should no longer be children, right? Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So what, what this looks like is he said, when you speak the truth in love, that first he wants to make, make the point in the book, that words are essential to resolving problems. Just because of words um, are just like, uh, cause, words cause problems. Uh, they often instigate problems. But if you use words rightly, they are absolutely essential for restoring. You can't just have a restoration without talking to people. Okay? And you cannot just be like, live once again, being in the same house again, or once again, being friends and never talk about it. You have to use words to resolve this issue. So uh, one of the principles he has, he has several principles here, which we're going to start with the first one, which is, is bring hope through the gospel. That's his first, his first idea here, is that rather than dwelling on what people should do or have failed to do, he says, focus primarily on what God has done and is doing for them through Christ. So the gospel shape is, is important, and, and not to belabor this, but the, the world's way of thinking is a, is a, we are growing to be better and better people, right? That we are, that God's here and we're here and we are becoming more, we, we get to get, we get to go closer and closer to God, that, that it's our work, that we are, we are climbing up this ladder towards God or, or, or towards perfection or, or whatever. And it's a work process, right? It's, it's all of our, out, our outward energy and exercise. This is the, the world's way of thinking about, about growth. But the biblical perspective, the gospel perspective, is that God comes to us. 
This is the gospel. Jesus came, and He died for your sins, and He rose again, and he, He saves you. God saves you. You don't save yourself. Okay, so the fact that it's not a workspace, but it's God saving us through Jesus Christ should transform how we think about helping people. And there's the law gospel thing where law is about what, you know, you know, condemning and the gospel is giving hope. And so here he really says that as you focus on how good God has been to me and saving me from my sin, and as you dwell on the gospel truth, it will come out in how you speak. It will come out in how you talk to other people. Instead of being condemning in your, in your speech to them, you're, you, are, you are excited about what God is doing to, to bring them along. Let me just give you one example of how I try to do this. Okay, when we talk about conviction of sin, most people see conviction of sin as a bad thing. They do. You say, they're like, man, I just, I'm so depressed. Like, I, I, conv- I got convicted about some sin. I don't know, maybe not say it that way, but I feel bad that I've been doing something. Maybe that's how they say it. And, and, and what that betrays is that you're, you're living by this method right here, because you're thinking that, that when God says you're doing something wrong, that you haven't achieved it good enough. It's like when you get bad marks at grades at school. It's like, I got an F. I hate getting an F. I want to get A's. I don't like getting F's. Like, that's how people think about when they're, when they're, when they're um, experiencing conviction of the Spirit. What is conviction, though? It's God working in you. It's the Spirit Convicting, what's the Spirit's primary work? His primary work in the, in the person, in the, in the Christian's life is illumination of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and the conviction of sin, right? To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The conviction of sin in the believer's heart is a huge part of the Spirit's life in illuminating the Word of God. He illuminates the Word of God. It, it convicts you in your heart, and He even works in the preaching of the Word, sometimes in music even. Sometimes, you know, God, God points to a conviction of sin. God uses other people to convict us of sin, but when God convicts us of sin, that's God's working in you. God's doing good things. It's the opposite of how we would, we would say, oh man, I got a bad grade. That's not, the, that's not what we're doing. And so when we come to confront somebody, if you're not careful, you'll come across like a teacher giving a bad grade, saying, shame on you. How, how dare you do that? Oh, can you believe? Like, and condemning, condemning, and saying what God is revealing in your heart, okay? What is God revealing in your heart that needs to be dealt with? And what God is doing by convicting you of sin is He's bringing you an opportunity to deal with it and to draw closer to Him and to get back to right fellowship with Him. That's like the big picture idea. But, but he talks about this as this, you need to give hope through the gospel because if you, if you frame confrontation and you frame um, sin as God exposing sin as an opportunity for confession and for growth instead of like, um, you embarrassed our family. Okay, think about that. You embarrassed our church. Like, how dare you? Okay, see the difference between those two? One is, is, you embarrassed us, how dare you? That's a condemning. The other is saying, God has revealed this and now the choice is yours. How are you going to respond to it? Um, so God, the gospel is good news. It's not bad news. And so having the gospel in your life, as you think about, it also prevents you from condemning others because you realize we're all in the same shoes, right? We all have the same uh, skin. We're all made of the same stuff, right? We're all sinners. We're not looking down at each other saying, I'm better than you, you know. And, and that's why he says in Galatians 6.1, the rest of the verse that Tony read, do you remember what it said at the end? 
considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You got to watch out. You can't go to other people and want to say, I'm going I'm to help you mend your nets. I'm going to help you mend your, your broken life. And then I'm over here thinking, because I don't need to be mended at all, right? I've got, I've got it. I'm up here, and you're down there. And um, I'm going to help you up. I'm going to lift you up. Whereas much, discipleship is much more shoulder-to-shoulder kind of work, where you're, 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 plow, you're helping someone, pointing them towards Christ. So that the gospel, having a, a clear understanding of what the gospel means, that it's not about earning your salvation. It is about God's grace in our life. And when God reveals sin, that is God's working in our heart. That's actually a good thing. That should transform how we deal with this kind of sin. Questions before we wrap this? Like, well, I got like one line in. I'm sorry I didn't get further. Thought, does that make sense? You kind of see where I'm going with that? A little bit. It, it, it's a radical change of thinking. It's different than how most people are brought up. It's different from how the world thinks. But the more you're in the Word, the more you read, understand, and pray, and meditate on the truth of the gospel, the more it will help you as you deal with other people's sin to speak the truth in love. You can speak the truth and speak the truth in love when you understand that the, the gospel gives us hope and doesn't condemn. All right? Lord, thank you so much for tonight. We do pray, as we have been, for our friends, the Deer Kings and the Smiths. We ask you, Lord, to give them grace and be with them in a special way. I pray you would surround them with your love and help Sierra through this uh, time uh, of, of danger. Lord, I pray that you would rescue her from this. I pray you would help her with her fever, that it would come down tonight. And God, I pray for your comfort and help to David, help him get some rest today. And um, Lord, I thank you for your word that challenges us to love each other properly and to speak the truth, speak the truth with love and to have a gospel focus in how we deal with our relationships. God bless our evening in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you all.